This morning, I get to continue a series that we've been in um, over the course of this summer, Summer Rules. And in this series, we are spending some time getting to know the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament. And again, whether you grew up in the church, you had never heard of the church, whether you're church adjacent, at some point or another, it's likely you've heard something about the Ten Commandments, maybe even formed an opinion. And uh, if your opinion was anything like mine growing up in the church, I did not think too highly of the Ten Commandments. Commandments. The Ten Commandments were just another bunch of rules from a cranky God who wanted to keep all of us from having fun and enjoying life. So it's been incredible to get to know not only the commandments, but the heart of the God who gave these commandments. And uh, as we've spent some time getting to know them, we've um, encouraged you. Um, I'm going to step into the light. Um, We've uh, encouraged you to take some time to read through the first 20 verses of uh, Exodus chapter 20. We've encouraged you to take notes throughout the course of this series so you can go and revisit um, some of what we're learning together. We've encouraged you to consider memorizing all 10 of these commandments, not in long form, but in some form or another. In fact, we're going to do a little bit of review here um, this morning as we turn to look at the ninth commandment. And um, okay, so the 10 commandments, as it goes, God chose a group of people, the Israelites, to be his own people, um, to know him, to walk with him, and to represent his glory and his goodness in the earth around them. That group of people was enslaved for 400 years by the Egyptians. Um, After 400 years, God said enough, and he came in and he miraculously rescued his people from captivity, unshackled them, and then he started to lead them towards a land of freedom, a land of fullness, a land of promise. And it was as he led them to that land of freedom that he gave them these Ten Commandments, not to restrict them, but to keep them safely on the path of freedom, safely on the path of joy. He gave them these ten signposts to lead the way. He gave them these ten guardrails to keep them from falling off into places of captivity and slavery. That is the heart of the God who wants to see his people enjoy freedom and fullness. So he gives them these ten beautiful rules for freedom. And the way God does this is he gives them um, four rules. If you study these, you're going to notice this pattern. The first four rules that he gives them have to do with the way they interact with him, the way they treat God himself. Because if you are going to live freely and fully, it starts with your perception and your interaction with God. And so he gives them these four rules about himself. I am the Lord your God. I'm your dad in heaven and I love you and I want you to live freely. And if you're going to do that, Here are four vertical rules about how you interact with me, right? And so he gives them, you have no other God, no other God will love you like I love you and protect you like I protect you and fight for your freedom like I do. No other God, right? You have no created gods. Don't make some God to try and sub in for me. There's no one like me. My name is sacred, so there will be no greater name. You will treat my name with reverence and honor because as my character goes, so does my name. And then he gives him this fourth command that talks about the Sabbath. There is no better work than resting in who I am. And one of the ways I know you trust me and rest in me is your willingness to take a day where you just do very little work 
of any kind. That's an evidence that you trust. I'm the one who ultimately provides for you. I'm the one who ultimately protects you, right? So he gives them these four vertical rules that have to do with how they interact with him. And then he turns a corner and he gives them the rest of these rules which are horizontal. If you're going to stay on the path of freedom, it matters how you interact with each other, right? And so you, you honor your parents. You will value life, right? You will protect each other's property. You will cherish marriage, right? That's the culture of freedom that I want you to create with each other. And by the way, that's why you're going to hear when Jesus is asked the question, well, what's the greatest command? Jesus says, let me summarize them this way. There's really two. The first one is vertical. Love the Lord your God with everything you are. And the second one is horizontal, just like the first, and love your neighbor like yourself. And if you're going to live in freedom, this is how you ought to interact with me, and this is how you ought to interact with each other, which leads us to the ninth commandment that we're going to look at today. If you have a copy of the Bible, you can join me in Exodus chapter 20, verse number 16. Um, and again, we'll put it up here on the screen. You can follow along that way as well. And it's very simple because God does not give his people anything complicated to apply for freedom. And here's what it says. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Simply put, never communicate an untruth about anyone. Do not do anything to create a false impression of someone else in the mind of anyone else. If you're going to live in freedom, if you're going to enjoy fullness, do not repeat, do not reinforce an untrue report about anyone. And I think it's important, by the way, right out the gates, that we spend a little bit of time just getting to understand this word false. This word false is really important for us to get a hold of. Again, false does not mean that something is completely untrue. But as you can see up here, false means that it's untrue in any way. If there's even a doubt in your mind that what you're saying about that person is completely true, consider it false and do not repeat, do not reinforce that report. So here's the summary of rule number nine. Never communicate anything about anyone that is untrue in any way. Never communicate anything about anyone that is untrue in any way. Why does God give them this command? And we're going to start to see a pattern that we've learned over the last number of weeks. And the first reason is one we've seen before. It's the principle of community. It's a principle of community. Don't do this 
because you don't want to live in a world in which people repeat and report things about you that are untrue in any way. That's not the world that you want to live in. So therefore, help to create the kind of world that you want to live in. You would be thrilled if everybody who ever spoke about you only spoke what was completely true about you. So help the community become a community like that by being a person who interacts like that. Create the kind of world that you would want your daughter and your grandpa to live in. A world in which no false rumor or report is started and spread about them. It's the principle of community. Again, it is why you will hear Jesus summarize some of these commandments by saying, when he's speaking horizontally, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's the principle of community. But God gives this command for a much more jolting reason. If someone um, in the Israelite community breaks any of the 10 codes of conduct that God is giving, he is going to issue some severe consequences. It is not just the principle of community, it is the principle of consequence why God gives them this rule. If someone breaks any of these 10 codes of conduct, God is going to give some severe consequences. Why? Because the violation of any of these rules puts the freedom and the joy of the entire community at risk. If somebody starts to just take property that doesn't belong to them and that becomes part of the culture, their whole freedom is jeopardized and it creates a world that doesn't invite joy for his people. And God is so committed to his people's freedom and joy that he puts some pretty severe consequences on anyone who would violate this code. For example, um, if somebody is said to dis or dishonor their parents. Does anyone remember what the consequence of dishonoring your parents is in the Old Testament? You can say it out loud. Death. Wow. If somebody is said to have dissed or dishonored their parents and then somebody else verifies the fact and then that case is taken to the community leaders, the Israelite community has every freedom to pick up rocks and stone the person to death. That's heavy. If somebody's found guilty of sleeping with somebody who is not their spouse, what is the consequence in the Old Testament? Death, the same thing. People can pick up stones if that case is found to be true and end a person's life by sanction of the Lord. If somebody deliberately takes the life of another person in that community, what's the consequence? 
death. God says you can, if one person says this person did this and it's found to be true, the consequence of that in that community is death. It is brutal. Oh, and by the way, when we hear this, if you're anything like me, our focus immediately goes to the severity of the consequence for this particular individual. It doesn't tend to go to the severity of the impact of the freedom and joy of the entire community if that code violation perpetuates throughout the community. What this tells us is God is that committed to the freedom and the joy of the whole that he will protect against anything that puts it at risk. And y'all, he is that committed to your freedom. He is that committed to your joy, which is, by the way, some of the reason that some of you have some exes in your life. God just took them out of your world. And while you are focused on the loss and the grief of all of that, God is like, I am not going to let that sucker jeopardize your freedom and your joy. I will move them. I am that committed to your freedom and joy. That's why so many of us have experienced what may feel to us like, that's a little harsh. The principle of consequence is huge, but I think there's a third reason for this rule if you study it in the Bible, and it's what I'm calling the principle of creation. Principle of creation. Um, I don't know if you've been here for the, uh, the, this journey that we've been on, but if you have, then you're probably tired of hearing me talk about this, but it doesn't make it any less cool. Maybe it makes you less cool. I don't know. But um, when, um, when God created the universe, he did it in epic style. He did it by simply speaking the words. Whatever God wants, he speaks in his creation process. And whatever God spoke came into existence exactly the way God wanted it. Epic in his creativity. This world we live in, God spoke it into existence. The Milky Way galaxy in which our world spins, God created that galaxy by speaking the words. The estimated two trillion other galaxies beyond our galaxy, God spoke those into existence by speaking the words. And oh, by the way, two trillion is just the estimate of all of our technology until it gets to a point where it's like, we can't see any further than that. I tend to believe there are probably like two quadrillion other galaxies that God created just for his amusement. And all of those were created simply by speaking the word. Everything in creation was made, created by God speaking the word, except us, except humanity, in case you didn't wake up feeling extra special this morning, not humanity. When God wanted to create humanity, he rolled up his sleeves. First, he came down from heaven into the world, rolled up his sleeves, and he shaped us with his hands, and he breathed life into our being. Meaning at the core of who you are, you are made from God's stuff. In his image, in his likeness. You are a chip off the old block. You are cut from the same cloth as God himself. Listen, 
One of the perks of being cut from the same cloth as God, one of the perks of being created in the image of God is whether you realize this or not, that makes you a low-key creator of worlds. <laughs> I'll let you praise him about that later on. Not on my time. But um, it makes you a low-key creator of worlds. You may not have known that. Welcome to church. I'm happy to introduce you to yourself. This is crazy, and it was true about the Israelites themselves. Powerful, powerful concept. Like the creator, you have the power to create new worlds with the words of your mouth. James talks about this. The, the writer of the Proverbs, he says it this way, Proverbs 18, verse 21. The tongue has the power of life and death to build up and to destroy. James says the power of your words can set worlds on fire. That was true about the Israelites, whether they fully realized it or not. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. In a community like the Israelite community, um, there was no bar exam. There were no judges in robes. In the Israelite community, um, there was no courtroom. There was no jury. There were no lawyers at all. The people in that community were declared guilty or innocent and their fate and possibly their life was determined by what somebody else said about you. The words of the mouth, right? The people in that community would have the power to create worlds and determine fates by what they said about someone else. If you were found guilty of dishonoring your parents, you die. How was that determined? By what somebody said about you with the words of their mouth. They had the power to create a new reality for you by simply saying something about you. That is power. You get dragged into a process that could seal your fate or even end your life. Or you get perceived as a violator because somebody said something about you. You get pegged by the community as an offender and that doesn't easily go away. Even if you get away from it legally, all oh, the scarlet letter hovers over your head. People look at you with suspicion because of something someone said because of a reality a world that was created by the words of someone else's mouth your reputation is now marked your fate is now sealed the principle of creation it makes all the sense in the world that god would say do not use the creative power of your words to create false worlds 
that other people now have to live in. Again, never communicate anything about anyone that is untrue in any way. Their life and their livelihood depends on it. Now, in case you're tempted to think, well, that's, that's old rule for old times. I was reading recently about a guy named Arthur Lee Whitfield. Uh, I'm guessing most of you don't, are not friends with him on Instagram, but um, Arthur spent 22 years in prison for rape and a battery. Oh, he spent 22 years in prison for rape and battery that he did not commit. DNA eventually exonerated him, set him free, and they found the person who actually did it. But 22 years of his life, why? Because someone said, I think I saw him. In the general area of the crime, around the time of the crime. And those words created a 22-year reality for this man. I was reading about uh, Raymond Towler. At the age of 24, he was arrested and he spent 29 years behind bars for rape and kidnapping. Because somebody said, yeah, I'm pretty confident that was him. And those words created a world almost 30 years long. And how many of you know, even after his exoneration, you don't just wake up and recover from that. That's a new reality for him. I was reading about Malcolm Alexander. 38 years. 38 for a gruesome assault that he did not commit. I'm just trying to tell you, this is not some old school make-believe stuff for a make-believe world. Nope. Words have the power to create real words, real worlds, and, and real realities, and new worlds, and new realities, and new consequences today. And I'm just saying, if we had a little bit of time and a whole lot of trust, I suspect that some of us in this room would share stories of the way our worlds have been upended and new realities have been created for us because of something someone said about us. Someone just plain accused you of something you did not do and enough people or at least enough people who mattered believed it and a new reality was created for you. You showed up to work one day and you're in the boss's office for having done something in the boss's office. You didn't know where the boss's office was until that particular day. But while you're on an off-site meeting, somebody said something about you in the break room and now your reality has changed. Some of you have been accused of some pretty painful things by family members, and now other family members aren't including you. 
And it's not even that the whole thing wasn't true, but a part of it was not, and that was enough. Some of you have been caught up in legal proceedings for things you did not do, and they have cost you time and trust and reputation, and your business is still struggling a little bit because of something someone said about you, the words of their mouth. Some of you have been hardcore tattled on by your sibling and they said you did something that you didn't do and you try to plead with mom and dad that you didn't do it but both of you ended up going to your room for something you didn't do and it's not fair because siblings will throw you under the bus boy they will tattle on you really quick change your world and make the world of parents really messy I don't know if I should believe you or believe my favorite. Like, I don't know. I'm torn. Both of you go. Man, I still run into people in the grocery store today who I know are looking at me like the thing that was said about me is actually true. And now there's a wedge in our relationship. A new world has been created of our previous relationship. Words creating worlds with real consequences. Just because of something someone said, that was all it took. All it took was a couple of mean girls at school to just for some reason or another, they don't like you. So they started circulating a story. And now you walk into the hallways of your school this week and man, everyone's going to look at you like you did all the things with all those people that all the words said about you. And that's the reality you have to live in. That's the world you have to live in on account of something somebody said about you. I remember a, a rumor circulating about my wife and I that this particular one was that we were uh, public drunks, I think was the way it was termed. And that actually started to get some traction. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm having to explain. No, okay, okay. We went out to dinner one time with our in-laws, and they ordered some wine like they normally do. Winos, you know. Somebody even said, do you go to Mission Point? Isn't that the place with the public drinking Pastor, I'm like, that's a new world with consequences. And that's all it took. Amazing. Um, and maybe some of you would tell painful stories of something unspeakable that happened to you, and you told the truth about it only to be accused of being one of those me tooers accused of being one of those attention grabbers, trying to be uber trendy, or you're anti this gender. And so what you said got diminished, and the words of reaccusation, so to speak, have you living in a very painful place. This is not make-believe stuff for a make-believe world, and some of us have been hurt by worlds created by other people's Words And the ninth rule would say, don't play any part in creating that kind of world falsely for somebody else. Come on, church. The ninth rule would say, don't 
ever accuse somebody of something unless you 100% know what it is. If you don't know something is entirely true, don't say it. It doesn't matter how likely it sounds. Well, you know how they are. Don't do it. The ninth rule would say stop with it, spilling tea stuff, as the kids would say. Spilling tea, by the way, is just a colloquialism for gossip. Stop it. If you hang out with people who love to throw shade and just cast other people in dark and negative lights without verified facts, they just cut. Listen, you either have to call it out or cut it out. Get out of there. You are in an environment helping to create a world that you don't want to live in. It's not cool. It may feel cool in the moment. But man, this is not okay. You want to call it out or just cut out of there because you don't want to live in a world in which somebody is just a silent part of your name being dragged through the mud about things you didn't do. You would want somebody to stop it or get out. So help to create that kind of world. I'm telling you right now, it does, if it's your family, you need to call it out. If it's, if it's your friends, your community, and it's just like, it's just become the hobby now where we can just throw stuff and say stuff about people just for whatever reason. It's creating worlds in each other's minds about other people. Stop with a spilling tea, don't spread rumors. If you hear something, you don't know that it's true for sure, definitely don't pass it along. This is where social media is a massive venue for disobeying this command. Wow. Do not create a post about someone else if you cannot verify the truthfulness of it. Don't do it. And even though this is not the point of this command, I'm going to throw this in just for free bonus. And ask yourself, even if it is true, why is it your business to be posting it in the first place? All right, back on course. Um, let me go a little bit further. Don't like a post about someone else if you cannot verify that it's 100% true. Don't like it. What you are doing is you are lending your voice as a witness to that statement. Don't do it. Well, I just want to be supportive of my friends. Get some new friends and support them. You can help to create a world by simply liking the words that somebody else has spoken. Don't, do, don't share a post about someone else if you can't verify the truthfulness of it. Social media has the power to create worlds of perception and many of us have participated in it and many of us are living in it. Like, do you see what they posted about you guys online? That has been said to me maybe 50 times in the last two years. Did you see what somebody said online? I'm like, eh, nah, You don't care? Oh, it hurts. Did you see who liked it? You li listen, just keep me out of this now, right? 
but it has the power to create worlds. This rule still applies today. I would say today more than ever, not because the rule is more important now, but because our words are further reaching now than they've ever been in history. I can say something about someone I have never met on the other side of the world and it is going to be heard by somebody who's taking a trip to Mars with Elon Musk. Like words can just create universes like this. And perceptions can be created so quickly in the era in which we live. I think this word is more relevant now than it has ever been. And God would say to us, if you want to live in freedom and joy, help create the kind of world you want to live in. Never use the creative power of your words to create a false impression of anyone in any How do we start to live this out? Well, a couple of recommendations, and some of them have been spattered through what we've already talked about this morning. Uh, but one recommendation is uh, always play you. Just play you. And play you is just a nice way of saying, mind your business. Do not speak on other people's behalf. Avoid it. Here's what I'm saying. You don't want people trying to play you in the story of your life. Don't play anybody else in the story of their life. Just play you. Don't speak on someone else. I'm not them. Well, you know what I... No one asked you. And if they did, it's not your role to play them in this particular story. What I would say is as much as possible, let's lean into statements like, I, you can ask them yourself. I can't speak on their behalf. I don't know for sure, so I'm going to. You can ask me about me, but I'm sitting in here having a conversation about somebody who's not even here and just we're playing them and we're writing all of these stories about them. Like, let them play them in the movie of their life. You play you. As much as you possibly can, encourage your spouse, your coworkers, your friends to do the same. Go ask them. Go ask them. Um, this is tough. Even like as parents... Like, I realize how much I do this. Like, I'm constantly speaking on my kids' behalf about their motives, their intentions, what they did, what they didn't do, and how they're going to end up in prison within the next 12 months. You know, and it's like I'm speaking on their behalf, but it's me and my wife. So it's okay for me to just create these worlds in my wife's mind about my kids, you know. And I, I ought to say more often, like, go ask them. My wife and I had a fight about this the other day. Like, it was an extended fight. I'm like, are we still fighting? Like, yes, we are. You know, it was because one of us said to the other one, like, and this is what your child did. You know, when they're in trouble, they're your child. This is what your child did. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so I think this is what should happen. They need to be got, and they need to be got good, right? And so the other spouse, who's more composed in these situations, said, um, well, I should go verify this and ask 
said, child, what happened? Verify, don't you believe me? Don't you, you know, and it's like, don't you, you know, and it becomes these things in, in parenting, like, now let's actually lean in the direction of talking and involving and seeing what they have to say and engaging and, and giving the benefit of the doubt and that kind of thing. So I just wanted to say pray for us is really what I'm saying. I, we may still be fighting. I'm not sure. <laughs> oh, man. Um, and my kids do this to me. All. So mom said, mm, dad. Mom, she's alive and well. You can go and speak to her yourself. I'm just going to play me in this story. Let mom play mom in this story, right? You try and triangulate us and pit us against each other. Like, no, go talk to her. Well, but she seems to think, mm, go speak to her yourself. That will be something beautiful for us to learn to do. You play you and let other people play them and direct other people to the star of their story. Let them star in their own story. I got my own stuff. And in light of that, I would say also make sure, make sure, practice the art of talking to people directly. Listen to me. If it matters enough for you to be sitting and having a conversation about it, then it should matter enough for you to go to the person and verify it. And if you're not willing to go and talk to the person themselves, that is your cue. Shh. You are now just creating worlds for a hobby. Well, why don't you go ask them? I don't want to ask them. I'm having more fun just creating these worlds about them. No, go directly to the source as often as possible and make Sure. I was meeting with one of my favorite people um, just a few days ago. And this person said to me, okay, here's my perception, and here's another perception, and here's something that I've heard, and here's something else that I'm, I've heard. If you would be willing, tell me your side of the story. I was there with my bottom lip quivering like, that is so beautiful. Thank you for giving me an opportunity and for reminding me that this relationship is valuable enough that you would actually make sure. Some of you are going to blow people in your world away by saying, listen, I've been sitting on this and I've been hearing this and I just want to come and ask you directly. People will be blown away by that. Play you, make sure, and I would say dig deep, dig deep. If you find yourself prone to constantly talking about other people, and I found that to be true in me, and I will say, well, no, I'm just venting with my wife, a trusted source. But no, what it really is, is me creating these worlds with my words. And if I find that perpetuating in my life, I've got to invite the spirit of the living God. Would you do that deep work in me to get to the source of why I feel the need to do this and for some of us he will reveal it's it's insecurity insecurity i need someone to be less in order for me to feel more that's why i continue to say these things about these people for some of us it will be arrogance like our insecurity has morphed into arrogance right because i'm not 
confident in, in who I am, and so I feel this level of insignificance and this invisibility, a level of smallness, like people will not see me or, or notice me if I'm just me, and so I need to make myself bigger. And if I'm gonna make myself bigger, well, in order to be bigger, I need to be the hero. And if I'm gonna be the hero in the story, every hero needs a villain. And so I'm gonna vilify someone, because if I can vilify them, then I can prove the fact that, but I'm on the right side, they're wrong. Look at me. I'm on the winning side. They're losers. Look at me, which is what's happening to this nation. We've created these two worlds. They're the bad guys. And by the way, you can never agree with a bad guy, even in the smallest way, because you've got to keep them really bad, right? You've got to continue with the accusations. You've got to continue with the rumors to keep them bad. So we know we are good and we are right and we're the heroes in the story. And that makes us a little bit more significant. And the spirit wants to heal that in us by reminding us our identity in the person of Jesus Christ that does not need anyone else to be less or wrong for me to be fully me. I just need Jesus to be Jesus. And he will do that work in us. For some of us, it's loneliness that he will unearth in us. I'm so lonely. And I just want to be accepted and I just want to be embraced. And that's why I love feeling like I'm in the middle of a secret. I'm in the middle of all of these stories that are being told about all of those people, you know, for, 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 for all of those reasons. But at least I feel included in it. And some of us add to it, not because we even believe it, but just because it allows us to feel like we belong. And the spirit is going to want to do that work and heal us of some of that by reminding us you are never alone never left, never forsaken. You are accompanied by a host of heaven. For some of us, it's fear. Like, I know I did something, and I'm so afraid of the consequence, so I'm just going to be like, she did it, right? She did. I know she had nothing to do with it. I know they had nothing to do with it, but if I can get the attention off me to minimize my consequence, I'm willing to burn somebody else's world so that I don't have to face what I've done, so that I don't have to face what's happening in me. And the spirit will want to unearth that. And for some of us, it's to protect. And it sounds dignified and glorious on the surface, right? Because if I care about somebody, then I'm going to want to protect them. And if I have to come up with a full story and accuse somebody else of something to protect the person I love, I'm going to do it. And man... That is not having someone's back. That is breaking the commandment of God. That is me saying I would destroy someone's world in order to protect the world of someone I care about. And listen to me, you would never want to live in a world like that in which somebody accused you of something you didn't do to protect somebody they care about. So don't do it. Help create the kind of world that you want to live in. And the spirit would want to surface some of that. And I would say, finally make amends. Make amends. Some of us need to acknowledge the ways that we have helped to create worlds that have hurt other people. Some of us need to go and make amends in those places. And I'm telling you, I'm speaking as a parent, like some of us as parents, we need to go back and make amends in the ways that we publicly accused our kids of things that we could not verify. 
We need to go back and publicly make that right in the same context. For some of us, we have posted something online about people we could not verify and we've dignified it by saying, well, it's just a party or it's just a political figure, like they're not real humans. And we need to go and publicly make that right. For some of us, we've gone and we've liked things and we need to just go unlike it. For some of us, we have played part in signing petitions or getting involved in an accusation at work. We didn't have all of the facts, but I trusted the person who said it, so I went along with it. And we need to go back to an employer and say, I just need you to know I didn't know, and I want to retract my statement. I want to, now I'm using my words to create worlds of healing. Now I'm using my words to create worlds of reconciliation. Now I'm using my words to create worlds of hope. And I'm just asking you, by the way, can you imagine what would happen in our county, in our city, in our, in our communities, what would happen in our country if the church started to lean into the ninth rule? Don't ask us. We don't know. We're not going to speak on their behalf. We're not going to falsely accuse somebody of something that we don't fully know or understand or verify, even if it feels like but it would deepen our position. We are not going to do that. We will say what we mean and we will mean what we say and we will use our words to bring life. And by the way, can you imagine what will start to happen when we speak about Jesus and our communities are like, if the church said it, you can trust their words because the way they use their words and leverage their words bring worlds of Hope. Can you imagine how we would break some of the nonsense that's happening in our culture right now if the church just entirely said, we're out on all of these accusations and all of this stuff of throwing shade and, and painting pictures of each other. We are not going to use the power of our made in the image of God to create worlds with our words to bring destruction. We want to bring life, the power of life and death, and we choose life. Wow. And ultimately, I think the Lord would want us to acknowledge the ways that we have broken the ninth command just with him, to be honest with him about this. And I love the hope that is found in the person of Jesus Christ. And now I'm talking to those of you who've been wounded by the false accusations of other people in your world. Jesus is like, I get it. I was falsely accused of things I didn't do to the tune of paying the consequence of death on a cross. I get the pain. And I'm able to not just meet you there, but heal the pain of the wounds that have been created by things that have been said about you. Bring those to me. And I love the fact that on the cross, though, Jesus also accepted the accusations that rightfully should have landed on us. So that in the ways that we have been the accuser, there is forgiveness found in Jesus because he has taken that off of us as well. He is so good if we would just come to him in honesty. And so Jesus is what we do. We just ask you to heal us of the places that we've been hurt by the words created by other people. Jesus, we pray that you would heal and forgive us of the ways that we have created Worlds of hurt for other people. And we pray that you would allow us to use the power of our words to bring hope and healing, to share your hope and healing with the world around 
us. Give us the courage by your spirit to do whatever it is you're asking us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen.